Welcome to episode 19 of DLN Extend. We choose topics covered by the Destination Linux Network that we think need further discussion and extend the conversation here. These shows include Destination Linux, Ask Noah, Linux for Everyone, This Week in Linux, DOS Geek, Text Digital, and our latest show, Hardware Addicts. I'm Nate, a Linux fitness and vintage tech enthusiast with an almost unhealthy obsession with the OpenSUSE project. Almost unhealthy. Well... Well, you know, we might have crossed that line actually a while ago, honestly. <laughs> um, I mean, truth be told, in full disclosure here, you know, it's just us two. It is. No one's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. Not a soul. Not a soul. So, Nate, what have you been up to this week? A lot of different things. A majority of my banging my head against the wall this week was playing with OBS. And I'm not going to fault OBS and it being a little crashy on me every time I change the settings on it. But... That was part of it. But I, and I contacted you, I think it was on Sunday. I was having trouble with the NDI plugin that you recommended. I was going in a lot of forums, reading, because uh, for you, it worked pretty much out of the gate from what I understood. I, I went through all the steps, rewent through the steps, and it, just, it wasn't working. And then I thought, you know what? I wonder if the firewall is stopping this, thinking that maybe the, my streaming machine can't read from the other machine because of the firewall, that's probably a problem. I just shut off the firewall and still didn't work. So I'm banging my head against the wall and I thought, well, just by chance, I wonder if the firewall on the streaming machine is also interfering. I lowered the firewall, which you know, I don't really like to do, but I am you know, behind my, my, you know, I do have that buffer between me and the scary internet. And uh, once that happened, everything was like, it was immediate. I could actually play a game on one machine using the audio output, even going through my headphones, which are Bluetooth. The latency was, uh, I'm not saying we have, I have a low latency kernel, but it, the latency was as such that it was totally playable to play on a totally different screen, you know, streaming on OBS on the little preview screen. The, the, the latency was that low. And so I was pretty impressed how well that worked. And from what I could tell, it nothing was being taxed as, as far as you know, either machine doing that. It didn't have any frame dropping that I noticed. And I, I was just generally impressed with how that worked. So yeah, that was, it was a lot of fun. And I'm sure you may be asking, why would I be doing this, right? Why would you be doing this? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm planning on, on doing some actual like youtube streaming type things. Oh. And, uh, and also I wanted a proof of concept to see if I can get this all working. I, planning. So we're, I don't know when this is going to kick off here, but it's, it's, uh, it's been a slow road. Everything worked really well. I was really impressed with it. And I'm hoping to very soon, uh, because I'm running out of time here, uh, do some OpenSUSE things. So I feel like I, I go online, I search, you know, do the, I go on the YouTubes and I search for just, you know, OpenSUSE videos on, on something. And it seems to be a little bit scarce out there. I don't know if it's because everyone who does OpenSUSE just uses the wiki or, or what. I don't know. Um, but I, I, I feel like there's a gap there that needs to be filled and I'd like to do some demonstration on things using OpenSUSE, further satisfying that unhealthy obsession of mine. With OBS, it isn't even just streaming. I mean, I use it to record my desktop for just YouTube videos as well. And, oh. you know, the reason that I was interested in NDI is when my laptop fans kick on, it's very noticeable and it gets picked up by the microphone. So by offloading everything to my desktop in another room, you know, and, and you're right, it, it is pretty unbelievable how low latency and how performant it is. 
And last week, I wasn't sure about the audio part of it. It basically performs as though it's capturing the native system. It's solving a slightly different problem for me, I guess, but it's a really handy tool to be able to to do that. Now, you said you were also trying to get the virtual camera to work, and I know you're having some issues. Were, were you able to get that working? Yes, I got the virtual camera working. It wasn't as straightforward as as it said I had actually defined what device to use and it seemed like whatever device number I, I defined it wasn't the actual device number that OBS wanted to call it. So once I figured all that out, then it was fine. Essentially what I did is I just I would I got I got tired of dorking with it. So I just said, take the next three devices and then I'll let OBS figure out which one it likes this time. <laughs> so so I got that working as well. Seemingly I have to do like the mod probe at every um, every reboot, so not mm. a big deal. But um, okay. I could probably put that in a uh, one of those Etsy files if I felt like it. But it's not something I necessarily want to keep active anyway. If that makes any sense. Yeah, because you know I don't want an extra device potentially filming my desktop or <laughs> filming. What? How old am I? Filming? Yes, I got film here filming my desktop. Um, I don't want. Yeah, you know, I don't want to have any extra things going on if I don't need it. Basically, so I'm I'm going to leave that as a manual turn on. As we were talking, I was just thinking, you know, I wouldn't even have to actually turn around to utilize the computer that I'm I'm streaming from because I could actually use the um have you ever used Synergy where you have multiple desktops with one like a virtual KVM? Mm-hmm. You ever use that? Yep. I use it I use it all the time. I don't know why I didn't think of it until just now. But I could use uh Synergy and be able to control the other desktop and then I can actually see what I'm doing on OBS and, and what whatnot. So I thought that would be kind of fun to do as well. I also threw into the mix an Android app called Stream Control. It's something that mm. uh, Steve of Steve's very own, he had mentioned it on a stream, I think. He may have done a video about it, I'm not sure. But if you remember, I had talked about an alternative to the Elgato Stream Deck. Yes. So this is using that same plugin, but instead of using that web UI that was very simple and really just let you change scenes. The stream control lets you control a lot of other stuff. Like you can start streaming and stop streaming, start recording, stop recording. It's a free app. It's actually very well put together and the UI is pleasant and it seems to work really, really well. Now, is that uh, is it using the NDI plugin as well or is that a different plugin that it, it uses within OBS? It's using the OBS WebSocket. Okay. It is enabling a remote connection to OBS and then using that connection you can make certain calls and control OBS. So for the uh the kids playing the home game, what is that called? It's called stream control. Stream control, okay. I do notice though, I browsed to it on the uh in the, in the Google Play store and the very top review is from Steve's very own. Yeah. <laughs> As I installed this app on my phone and tablet the best use on the tablet. It makes for an easier control of my OBS streams. The layout is simple and easy to use. I'm just using it at the moment to start and stop recording. Okay. Because otherwise I'd have to have like a remote desktop session or, or something to get to that desktop to be able to start recording remotely. And this just right. lets me toggle it on and off. Well, that's very cool. I'm gonna have to look at this. Does it do different scenes as well? It does all of it. Yeah. You So all of your profiles and scenes... Basically everything that's in OBS, it's there's a huh. equivalent. That is fantastic. Yeah, it's really slick. Well, I need to play with this now. So you and Steve's very own have convinced me that I need to uh, 
see what this is all about. The total setup now, I guess, is the virtual camera, the NDI plugin so that I can capture my laptop screen remotely, and then mm -hmm. OBS WebSocket, and then Stream Control. It's amazing how extensible, I guess that's the beauty of open source. Yeah. There's always a way. <laughs> that, that I think is what, what I do enjoy so much about open source software is it seems like it grows in functionality and, and becomes more usable as opposed to the other way around where they start limiting features or taking things away. And, and also, you know that it's going to be around someone if, if they decide not to, if whoever runs it now decides that they don't want to do it anymore, somebody else is going to pick it up. It might be called something else, but it's still going to be around. So Eric, what have you been up to? Well, I've been trying to do lots of things, and um, this is going to sound dramatic, but it's like forces conspire to keep me from, from being productive. <laughs> and it's just little things, well, you know, I've been running Ubuntu 20.04, and for the most part, hadn't had any issues. And then just the last week or so, I've run a couple updates and things have gotten a little weird. And, you know, I ran the update today just before we're recording this and had some pretty major issues and um, had to, to uh, do an extreme distro hop to get <laughs> to get ready to record. So beyond that, I've been trying to do more videos and you know, more content and just been having a really hard time with Caden Live and, you know, getting videos edited. Everything I've been trying to do recently has been way more difficult than it normally is. It leads me to wonder, is it me <laughs> or is it the technology? Am, am I just in the wrong frame of mind? Like something, something is, is not right. The world itself is kind of weird and crazy right now. So maybe it's just all bleeding over and, and <laughs> into things I'm trying to do. I, I don't know. But yeah, I spent hours trying to get Caden Live to do something very simple. And it just kept crashing on me and really just led me to the point where I'm ready to basically just pay for commercial video editing software so that I don't have to deal with this. At this point, I'm back to the drawing board with looking at options. And if I go the commercial route, I've got the choice of either DaVinci Resolve or Lightworks. They have a try before you can buy? Yes. Well, DaVinci's free. So it's it's not like that is even an issue. It's But it's difficult to install and it needs a dedicated GPU. And um, my laptop hasn't been the best host for that software. And then I've, I've been trying Lightworks and they have, they do have a, it's a free version, I guess it's, uh, I don't know if they consider it a trial or free. The uh, limitation is you can only output 720p. The other thing is Lightworks is a, it's a professional tool. I mean, it's used by, you know, professionals to make actual like movies and things. So it's not that the tool isn't capable, but it's so different. It's just a very different UI, different uh, sort of workflow. It's a good tool, but it's almost like you're committing to learning their way of doing it. I, I mean, that's, that's fine, and I may go that route, but I'm not sure yet. We, you know, we have this debate about proprietary software, specialist software, tools that are purpose-built that, yes, you pay money for, and yes, they're closed source, but they let you do something in an efficient way and are, you know, stable, reliable, and the money how much time is it worth to try to do things the hard way as opposed to just getting the right tool for the job 
and getting on with what you're trying to do. I feel like I've stopped distro hopping because that was a colossal time suck. I would spend hours and hours and hours and end up basically in the same place. Because when you think about it, it's the same set of desktop environments and there's only so many underlying distro structures. And at the end of the day, once you've been through all of them and back again, you're really not gaining anything. You're spinning your wheels. You know, that's kind of how I felt. Yeah, I get that. And, you know, I feel like I'm doing that with video editors right now, where it's like, I've tried all of them three times over. There's things I like about all of them, and there's things that just are unworkable in all of them. I was having this discussion with Rocco on Biddle last week, where do you just learn to live with certain little things and move on? If something is good enough to get the job done, do you just ignore those things? Or do they bother you to the point where you just, it's unworkable? And today, you know, I spent an hour trying to get Caden live to set the color. You insert a uh, color clip to be a background and I would go to choose the color and it would freeze. And I'm like, maybe I did something wrong. And then it did it again. I'm like, okay, well I'll reboot because maybe just something's going on and it did it again. If those commercial solutions are a better choice and they get out of my way and they let me get my work done, then you know what? Take my money. I hear you. You got to, I mean, you only have so much time in a day. I and mean, we've, we've talked about tools before, like, like me with CAD. Sometimes you just have to have a tool that just allows you to work in the way you want to work. If the tool and you just don't get along, then it's probably best you find another tool, I guess. Really, I, I think that's what it boils down to. I don't seem to have problems with Caden Live, but also, I mean, if you look at my, uh, my, my count of, of videos I've produced this year, not looking so good. So, uh, Caden Live suits my purposes, but I totally understand for you when it does not. Well, I wish you the best of luck on finding your perfect, uh, distro. I mean, uh, video editor. <laughs> <laughs> Anything. So, but, um, Insert name here. <laughs> anyway, I totally understand where you're coming from. Like there's, there's just different stages you go through and, I think when you get into something like, you know, Linux and open source and these stages, I think take a long time. They, I mean, they, they're different for everybody, right? You know, some people like to distro hop. Then they decide that distro hopping isn't what they enjoy about Linux or about, you know, and so they move to some, you know, another aspect of it. You know, they get into video production again to something else. And now, now that becomes where they put their time and attention. And so distro hopping, you know, becomes less of a, a thing and then they hop video editors or you know cad software and eventually you just you stop hopping so much and then you just kind of settled in on, on what seems to fit your needs the most so yeah i understand you can't get done what you need to get done with the tools you have buy another tool you know which is why i bought dewalt and it's a totally separate tool and that doesn't fit the conversation at all but you know i'm just saying <laughs> I, i'm a solutions person right i look i have a task or a problem or an objective and I'm looking for a solution to fulfill that. And once I find something that I think works, I want to just say, this is my solution. And so when I need to do this thing, this is what I use. I thought I had found that with Caden Live because I'd made a few videos with it and it seemed to work well, but this just keeps coming up. And it, you know, I'm, I'm really not trying to pick on Caden Live here because I know a lot of people use it and love it and they should because it's an amazing piece of free and open source software the tools the capabilities 
it's really an amazing piece of software. The people making it should be very proud of it, and, and I know I would be. It's just not working for me. And I think that's the source of the frustration. I thought I had found the solution, and my solution failed me. And now I'm frustrated because it's like I have to find another solution. And I, I'm probably a little more obsessive than the average person, but I need to know all the options. I need to evaluate all of them. I need to put thought into, you know, what are the capabilities? Does this solve this problem? I'm also looking to do more than just make YouTube videos. I actually have a customer that wants to do online courses. You know, I want to help them with video production. I know I can do it and I want to do it because it's something that interests me, but I need to have a reliable tool because if I have someone paying me or expecting me to deliver, then I can't not get stuff done just because I can't pick a background color or some other silly thing. So it's always fun when we get some listener feedback. And I had one directed toward me that, that asked if I managed to get folding at home working on Tumbleweed. He said, please let me know. I've been trying all week from uh, Danny Boy. And uh, I got to tell you, Danny Boy, um, nope. <laughs> I couldn't solve the issue with nothing provides bzip2 libs. I tried numerous different things. Nothing worked. Even though they actually existed there, somehow the application wasn't finding it. So maybe there's another link I could do to make it work. I don't know. Um, I only dug for a little while, got a headache and just hadn't picked it back up. So, but I, I do want to say though, if you are successfully able to get folding at home working on your system, Jason Evangelo has a folding at home group. That's uh 240869. I, I'm not sure exactly what the group thing does. Help me out here, Eric. But, uh, but like you can kind of like have a team. It's like a, a team where, you know, rah, rah, com competitive team. The organization structure is basically you as a individual, but then you can join and be part of a team or create a team, you know, so you can report on the, those different levels. So when I was running it this week, I wasn't part of a team, so it's just me individually. But if I was part of a team, then my contribution would go towards the team's total. So that's what Jason did was start a team and when you set up folding at home you'll see that it, it's a web ui it comes up and it will uh asks you how to configure it and you can do it anonymously if you want you can also identify yourself and then if you do that you can associate yourself with a team this episode of dln extend is sponsored by digital ocean Eric, did you know that DigitalOcean is sponsoring the entire Destination Linux network? I've heard that. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewall, load balancers, and so much more. You can get all this, plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 a month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open source software, languages, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean for two months free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. 
And we thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. In this week's community segment, we had a post in the discourse forum about how to keep kids' online usage under two hours a day. And that was the specific question. And it led to a discussion about, in general, just how do you deal with children and the internet? And of course, we're talking things like YouTube and social media and things like that, depending on the age of the child. It's not an easy question to answer. I've heard it discussed several times on different podcasts and other venues in recent memory. And the consensus seems to come down to technology really isn't the answer. The question will come up, what can I use to do this for me? Right? Are there ways that I can either filter the traffic or limit the amount of time or, you know, maybe even like logging the activity when the discussion comes to some sort of conclusion on these, when, when I've heard it discussed previously, it usually comes down to, it's up to the parent to educate the child, to make good decisions, to be safe online. Ultimately you can put technology in place and it helps, but if you rely on that solely and you don't take the time to talk to the kids and really get them to understand why it's important to have balance and things, and then the technology is not going to do that for you. Yeah. I don't see a software solution, an effective software solution for that. I think as a parent that you know does have these struggles with my kids, my solution that seems to work most of the time is just engaging the kids. And this is the hardest part. It's, you know, when I'm busy and I need to be working or doing some other task around the house, it's hard to do this. But to take the time and, and model good behavior, you know, when you're spending time with the kids, don't have your phone with you. I don't like my phone anyway, so I leave it plugged in most of the time. So I'm sure I'm killing the battery. But anyway, have, doing activities with the kids. You know, we, we've done everything from paper mache, which is a mess, you know, Legos, which is a painful mess at times, or Play-Doh, which is also a mess. In fact, I think the kids just like things that are messy, it seems like. But just engaging them, having good quality play with them, with things that are that isn't just technology, it isn't just being online. I don't think technology is all that bad necessarily, but I, I don't want my kids just watching videos or just watching TV or just watching things and just being vegetables. I want them to be curious and to want to learn and to do and to try things. I try to model that the best that I can. And like today, there was not one time when they went for a phone or a tablet or computer for that matter. Now there is a mess to clean up with Legos, but, but just like letting them, you know, enjoy and explore other things besides that and just having that available. You know, it's, it's kind of like if you have junk food and vegetables available in your house, if you just limit the amount of junk food that you see and leave the vegetables out, you tend to go for that stock of broccoli, or maybe I do. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad example, but it's just, it's about like modeling or, or trying to lean toward those healthier habits. That's my two cents on it. Well, you're right. I mean, it's the balance. I mean, what you're talking about is non-technology, right? And and making sure they have interests in other things. And it's funny because my daughter does have somewhat unfettered access to YouTube. Not that we don't monitor and watch what she's looking at and, and that kind of stuff. But when left to her own devices, ironically, with YouTube, she watches educational content. She watches like nature shows or like how to build things. Uh, about six months ago, she watched a video on how to build a little trebuchet out of like chopsticks and a rubber band and a spoon. And mm. 
That's cool. So she watched it. She walked away and we were just sitting there doing something. She came back 10 minutes later with a fully built trebuchet <laughs> that she had seen. Nice. And it worked. I was like blown away by that. But so she's getting, <laughs> she's actually finding good content for as bad as the stuff can be on YouTube. She's actually really good at finding the, the good content. And when she watches normal television, like Netflix or something like that, that's all garbage. I mean, there, there's almost no good content that isn't just screaming cartoons or, and, and it's okay. It's like, she can have some of that. What I've talked to my daughter about is, you know, she's eight and I've just said, look, you are going to encounter things that are disturbing or that are not appropriate for you. And if you happen to come across that, you need to stop it. Don't watch this stuff and tell me, you know, if, if you see it or I have now, I think, talked to her enough and made her understand that not everything is just innocent and appropriate, I guess is the right word. I, like, I don't want her to feel that like forbidden fruit, right? That, that was one of the comments in this, uh, in the forum post was when someone was a kid, their parents limited them to an hour a day on the computer. And they felt that that was actually, it, it kind of backfired because the hour they spent, they didn't actually do anything productive. They were more interested in doing the stuff that probably they were trying to be limited from in the first place. And the opinion of that person was, had I had an extra, you know, a little extra time and didn't feel like it was such a, you know, a forbidden fruit type situation, then they probably would have spent more time hmm. doing something constructive. And thus far, you know, I feel like having talked to my daughter and seen her, seeing her behavior, I feel like she's doing the right things. And also you mentioned, you know, the non-technology stuff, you know, other activities, when left to her own devices, she doesn't necessarily just run to the TV or to an electronic. She'll be playing with Legos or she'll be drawing or she's mm -hmm. doing crafts or, you know, reading or she, she, she has lots of things that she's interested in besides just television or videos. Now I will say, I'm not sure what this is. I think this is just all humans because it's not just children. People are so drawn to their phones and to small screens, and she is as well. If you let her, she'll just stay on your phone all day. Yeah, as my kids. I can't even necessarily falter for that because I, I see adults that right. act that way. When I go and see, you know, I'm in a waiting room somewhere, and it used to be that it was just a certain demographic or age group that would have their phones out. Now everybody does. 60, 70, 80-year-old people are like sitting there with their smartphones playing a game or doing who knows what they're doing, but everybody's looking down at their screen. Like you said, leading by example, it's, it's hard to tell a child no, if you are there doing it in front of them and they see it. And of course, we're also drawn to these little pieces of technology. The flashing lights. Yeah, absolutely. It's hypnotic. On This Week in Linux, episode 98, Michael talked about Linux Mint Debian Edition being released. This is edition four. And coincidentally, we're also trying this out for the Big Daddy Linux Live Distro Challenge. And so I had an opportunity to try it this week. I had not used a Debian-based distro, just, just flat Debian-based. I mean, obviously, downstream, you've got Ubuntu and all of its variants, and I use those all the time. But just 
Debian itself. And I have some interesting issues with Mint as a more experienced Linux user. So I still think Mint is a really great option for newer users because they do give a very sort of cohesive desktop experience and great tools, and it's all put together very well. But when you get beyond beginner stage, and I, this is, I'm dancing around this a little because it's a, it's, it's a little unfair. These are personal hangups of mine, and I know that. But you can't add a PPA, which the reality of the situation right. is that a lot of software is available via PPAs. And so it limits your choices. It also drives me crazy that they have the long-term support version of Firefox, the ESR version, I guess is what they call it. And you can work around that. There are ways to, to get the newer version. Yep. But the one thing that absolutely drives me crazy about Mint is they have a custom version of Apt that doesn't do Apt things. So I'm so used to running Apt on Ubuntu and all its variants. So things like hmm. App Search, Dash Dash, names only can't do that in mint these are small complaints most people who use mint are never going to use apt i get that uh, most people that use mint will probably never add a ppa and i get that and that's fine on the good side of things all of that cohesive desktop experience that i mentioned that's all there you've got this lovely cinnamon desktop everything looks great everything works great it's all put together well the default software that they include the welcome screen, taking you through step-by-step step, setting up the system. All of that is still the same wonderful Mint experience it's always been. I've, I had never really run Debian as a desktop environment. So I've, I used it on servers and still, when I started in Linux, that was my first server environment that I went with was Debian. And I had Debian servers that ran for five, six, seven years with no problems whatsoever. For that purpose, they were great, but I was trying to think if I had ever run just Debian as a desktop operating system, and I'm not sure I ever have. I've run Debian a few times, or I should say I've, I don't know if I've, I've had it running or a version of Debian. Like, you know, I do like MX Linux, so I, I'm very familiar with Debian. Also like an esoteric hardware, like for a, quite a while I was running Debian on an HP Unix system, which um, wasn't great, but I could do it. And so I, I've always had a familiarity with Debian. I've never found Debian difficult to, to work with or to navigate. And generally speaking, the applications I'm looking for are available or I was able to get it reasonably well. So I can't say I've had a bad experience with Debian. I just, it does seem like Debian just is a little more, you know, the, the packages go stale on Debian, which for like a system that wouldn't be like my, my primary number one system to use, that's totally fine. You know, if I just need a system to do a function, Debian is great. I've said this before, like Fedora is very forward leaning and I feel like for me, I say, I'm saying feel and that's, that's a terrible word to use. You know, for, for what I need, OpenSUSE is kind of that bridge between the, the very forward leaning and the Debian, which is kind of why I settled here, but I still use Debian for certain like esoteric pieces of hardware. You know, I like the fact that they still support 32 bit. I know sure someone's going to like start spitting at their radio or radio, you know, spitting at whatever's playing their podcast. But I, I still have a, a thing for 32-bit machines, and, and so Debian's also nice for that as well. You know, things like Bunsen Labs is, is another nice one. I think it's Debian-based. Debian's stable, yeah. If you had a workstation or a server that you just needed to do the thing it does and not change and be reliable, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better option. 
like you said, it works on just about any kind of hardware. And in terms of longevity, I mean, it's pretty hard to beat. I mean, we talk about LTS releases for, for Ubuntu and stuff like that. But when I think of just like absolute rock solid stability, if I had to set up a server that was just going to be in some closet somewhere and it's a file server, or just some single purpose box that's going to sit there, I would absolutely consider Debian to be like one of the top choices. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And it likely would not fail you or require rebooting, which is, I think, the strength of, of Debian. Now, I've never run SID before. And talking about SID, I'm knowing that it's rolling. That does have some interest to me. Uh, mainly just to just test it out and see how it would how it would go for me. Not that I'd be interested in switching, but I, I'd like to see how tolerant it is to forgetting to do your updates. I'd, I'd like to maybe run some stress tests like that, if you can call them stress tests, but to see how they would they would hold up if uh, if you neglect it for an extended period of time. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and also on shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. For more information where you can find us, me, you can uh, find me on the destinationlinux.network creators page, or you can go to cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular things are over there. Now, Eric. Let's say I was thinking to myself, you know, uh, gently not touching my face and, and wondering, where can I find Eric on the worldwide interwebs? Where would that be? You know, it just so happens that I also have a creator page on Destination. Do I, I do. I do. <laughs> it's the best resource simply because everything's there in one place. And instead of me reading off all of the various ways that you're able to get in touch with me the destination linux.network website is the easiest place to go to so go to creators you'll find nate there you'll find me there and you'll find all of the other dln creators as well but make sure you stop by the discourse because the rest of the dln crew and the community all hang out well maybe not all but a large chunk of them hang out there and if you hang out there too then it's closer to all i'd like to thank you for joining us once again we appreciate your time. There's a lot of podcasts out there. We know that. And if you enjoy listening to us, we'd love to hear from you. We've mentioned it already, but stop by the forum and say hello. We post a thread for each show. So if there's anything that we bring up that you'd like to discuss, that's a good place to do it. Hopefully we will hear from you. We'll be back next week with another episode of DLN Extend. And until then, have a great week, everyone. See you. Thank you.